This is the Victory Podcast. Every week, we'll share an inspiring message about God's grace and forgiveness for you, wherever you're at in life. Your victory starts now. Good morning. We just heard that we are the Lord's ambassadors. And in our current series, we are learning that we are God's ambassadors, his representatives, in a post-Christian nation. That is, we're living side by side with people who may not share with us uh, a real devotion to God's objective truth. We are living side by side with people who may not have a very lovely impression in their minds of what Christians are or what Christians do. And so to be God's ambassadors, his representatives, begins with living side by side with our neighbors, making connections, representing Christ. So isn't it crazy ironic this morning that we're learning this together when we barely know each other? Yeah. So let me start. I'm Bob Johannes. I'm a retired pastor. I live over in Caledonia. I became a member of Victory of the Lamb right around Thanksgiving time. I grew up on the north side of Milwaukee, right down the block from Richard Herman here, three houses away, in fact. Uh, Served in the ministry for 38 years, first in California, then Nevada, then western Minnesota, and finally just outside of uh, Manitowoc, Wisconsin. I was widowed six years ago, and I'm a newlywed in the last three months. I've got two children, three grandchildren. My beautiful bride, Carol, has two grown daughters. She's a retired school counselor. Now, an introduction is a good beginning for making connections. But you realize there's got to be a lot more, right? So let me just pique your interest a bit. Both Carol and I have children who live outside of the country. And you wouldn't believe how complicated that makes connecting with your kids. I am, I consider myself family deprived. So I love it that Carol comes from a huge family with seven siblings and I don't know how many nieces and nephews. I speak a little Italian. I love art. Both Carol and I love to cook. I come from a family of lay people. My mother worked her career for Johnson Controls as a secretary, and my father and his family ran greenhouses. I've always been a gardener and grower. And it was actually my daughter who knew both Carol and me who introduced us. Now, I hope that piques your curiosity. And we're going to come back to that later. So let's get back to our theme. Both Pastor Bill and I are reading a book titled Hope of Nations by John S. Dickerson. And Pastor Dickerson spends about two-thirds of this book establishing the fact that we are living in a post-truth, post-Christian world. 
that for the most part, people have set aside objective truth for just what they feel is truth. And in this post-Christian, post-truth world, Pastor Dickerson predicts that there are going to be unimaginable changes in the next 30 years. And America and Europe are going to decline economically, morally, uh, in, in every way, beyond anything we could imagine. And he presents some powerful arguments and convincing statistics. But when all was said and done, you know what I realized? An even more powerful truth. Something that our God has already said. That yes, we live in a changing world, but so what? When in the world did our God ever promise us that Christianity grows best in a Christian culture or in Western culture? You realize Christianity was growing when 120 believers met together in Jerusalem in the Middle East a couple weeks after Jesus died, rose again, and ascended back to heaven. They were so grossly outnumbered in an unbelieving world. And yet just weeks later, by the power of the Holy Spirit, they grew to more than 3,000 believers. And do you realize how Jesus encouraged them and encourages you? These are the words he spoke. He said, Do not be afraid, little flock, For your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. You and I are always going to be the little flock who knows the big picture of God's kingdom. We are always going to be that little flock who knows the amazing gospel truth of Jesus' love and his forgiveness, that life-changing truth. And admit it. You realize it's always tempting for us to think our problems are so new and different and no one's ever experienced anything like this before, that our losses are greater than normal human beings face, God says, so what? And just consider what he said to his people 2,500 years ago. It was after their enemies, the Babylonians, had besieged Jerusalem and conquered it. And those Babylonians deported 12,000 Jewish families from their home in Jerusalem to the kingdom of Babylon. Talk about living in a strange and unfriendly place. But listen to what God told them. He said, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of that city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So what, God says. 
I carried you there. I placed you right where you are. So what will I do? If I'm living in a post-Christian America, settle down, God says. Make connections. That's the key to representing Christ to your neighbors, whether they're friendly or unfriendly. After all, you realize the Lord's second great commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. And that command is so beautifully illustrated in Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. It wasn't a long trip from Jerusalem to Jericho, but apparently it passed through very desolate circumstances. Perfect place for robbers to hide and attack. They attacked this poor traveler. They stole everything he had right down to the clothes off his back. They beat him half dead and left him laying there naked. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Levites and priests were God's Old Testament church workers, church people who were too busy doing church work to stop and aid this man who had been beaten almost to the point of death? I mean, need we say more? God's command isn't love the Lord or your neighbor, it's love the Lord and your neighbor. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Something we don't often realize about this parable is that the Samaritan was truly a person living in a very, very hostile situation. The Samaritans were Israelites who had broken away in a civil war centuries before Jesus' time. Their separate nation had been brutally defeated by the enemy Assyrians. The survivors stayed in that territory. They intermarried with some of the other nations, the ancient nations of Palestine. And so this man was one of those survivors. The Samaritans still practiced the Old Testament Jewish religion, but in sort of a watered-down form. But they were brothers. But to their fellow Jews, they were bastards. 
They were half-breeds. They were unredeemable heathen to be avoided at all costs. And because the Jews so despised them, the Samaritans normally avoided the Jews. But this Samaritan, we're told, went where that poor man was. He felt compassion for him. He helped him. He bandaged him up. He gave him first aid. He personally took him to a safe place at an inn and even paid for his continuing care. And then Jesus asked, Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Do you notice how carefully Jesus phrases his question? He doesn't say, well, who's a neighbor? Because every person God has put in our path is our neighbor. But rather, which of these persons truly acted like a neighbor to the man who is in so much need? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him, Jesus told him, go and do likewise. And that's exactly how you and I, how we make connections to all of those people the Lord has placed into our lives. All those people with whom we rub elbows, whether that's in our neighborhood or on our job or in our family, We are not the church people who are so busy with church work that we walk by. We don't sit there in our church on the hill looking down, wringing our hands about the sorry condition of our nation or our world or even our neighbors. The true neighbor didn't stand aside. He went and came where the man was. Now, I shared some details about myself to make you curious. Not nosy, but sincerely interested. And as God's people, can you be that sincerely curious and interested about your own neighbor? Perhaps in spite of the fact that they wear a Chicago Bears cap, huh? Or a headscarf on their head. Or in spite of his tattoos or the cigarette in her hand, huh? And the Samaritan, the true neighbor, was genuinely concerned. It actually moved him to action. Imagine what it took to haul this man who was almost dead up onto his donkey, take him to a village, find an inn, and then we're told he paid for his ongoing care, two denarii. That was the equivalent of two days' wages in ancient times. So what is that today? $250, $300? He just dropped and said, take care of this man. He was crazy generous. Remember our sermon series about generosity? That our generosity not only mirrors God's generosity to us, it's totally motivated by that amazing grace that he's poured down on us, his gifts. This is how we connect. 
This is how we represent Christ to everyone around us, whether they're friendly or unfriendly. And you realize, when it comes to sharing the gospel, the old truism is truer than ever. People do not care how much we know until they know how much we care, right? Yeah. But before we finish, we've got to revisit Jesus' punchline here. He said, go and do likewise. That was the bottom line. Go and be a perfect neighbor or you will never have eternal life. Yeah, you realize this started with a question? It says, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Now, just like we'd expect, the expert in the Old Testament law, boy, he quoted it perfectly. Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that really doesn't have any loopholes in it, does it? All of everything. But you know where he was going? He knew, love your neighbor as yourself. And he asked, and who is my neighbor? Maybe there's someone who isn't my neighbor. Maybe there's someone I don't have to love. Maybe there's someone who is so bad they don't deserve my help or my compassion or anything from me. And then, of course, Jesus told the parable to explain that anyone and everyone whom God has placed in our path is our neighbor. And to have eternal life, Jesus says, do this and you will live. Be a perfect neighbor like the Samaritan. Wow. Where do we turn? when we're struck with the fact that we have not been that neighbor. When we're literally not only guilty, but horribly ashamed of the things we've done to other people. When I realize I've treated people like they were unredeemable or unnecessary or just plain annoying. Where do you go when you realize you've been a harm and a hindrance rather than a help to your neighbor or your family? And the beautiful thing is scripture is full of pictures of people who came to that very same point. King David stole another man's wife and ordered her husband's death. And he humbly confessed, I have sinned against the Lord. King Manasseh 
who so abused his own family that he offered some of his children as human sacrifice. He sought the favor of the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before God. Zacchaeus the tax collector, remember the one who climbed up the fig tree? He extorted money from his neighbors. He was a cheat. And when he realized his sin, he repented. He promised to pay back four times what he had stolen, and then he heard Jesus' assurance, Today salvation has come to this house, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And you know how Jesus gave that perfect assurance, right? He was literally the perfect neighbor. Jesus was the perfect good Samaritan with pure compassion, pure love for every one of his neighbors. And you and I are just like that traveler. Sin has robbed us. It's robbed us of joy. It's robbed us of the trust of our friends. It's robbed us in every way imaginable. It's left us dead and helpless. And that's something we hate to admit. Scripture says we are dead in our transgressions and sins. Yes, I'm physically moving and breathing, but spiritually, there's no life in me. And it's Romans 5 that describes the amazing love and compassion of our Good Samaritan. It says, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, naked, helpless, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Our Good Samaritan took on himself your sins against your neighbor my sins against my family, our wrongs against our co-workers, the sins of hating, the sins of holding grudges, the sins of not helping when there was a glorious opportunity to just stop and offer assistance. Our Savior took those sins on himself was punished in our place so that we live now and forever. And right now, we are alive in Jesus. And we have the calling, you have the calling and the power to love your neighbor, friendly or unfriendly. We are Christ's ambassadors. I like the way Martin Luther liked to describe it. He said, think of it like God was hiding behind you and me and demonstrating his love, his compassion, his forgiveness, his beautiful grace through the way that we interact with our neighbors and our co-workers and our family, whether they're friendly or unfriendly, right? Friendly or unfriendly, so what? 
Don't be afraid, little flock. It's your father's pleasure to give you the kingdom. And so what will you do to make those beautiful connections? We'll leave it at that. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Victory Podcast, brought to you by Victory of the Lamb in Franklin, Wisconsin. For video sermon archives, more information about us, and to let us know how we can meet you where you're at, go to victoryofthelamb.com.